The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
I was raised in a small country town, out on a farm, and we attended a small church. The church was perhaps 75 members. I always wondered, as a child in the church, why the church was so dead. The orthodox gospel of Jesus was preached every weekend. I attended Sunday school. Everything was going along fine. Periodically, we would have a new pastor come. It was just a part of our life. It was a wonderful life. But I began to wonder, knowing that I wanted one day to be a pastor, why the church was so dead. We had Edith, who was a wonderful soprano, and she would sing most Sundays, Saturdays. We met on Saturday. We had other, a few other musicians, one who could play the piano, and we had the normal church picnics, the church parties. I loved those because we had a member who had a large basement in their home and I could race around with the other kids. Of course, the adults were always after us to stop running, to be quiet, to not disturb. But why didn't the church grow? Then as I went to seminary, the church growth movement began to have great power in this country. Bill Hybels in Chicago came on the scene soon after I was in ministry, and I was pastoring a small congregation. It had gone through a great deal of trauma and was down to seven or eight people because they'd had such an incredible church fight. And I wondered, how can we grow? Always the question was, how can we grow? How can we increase our tithe base? How can we increase our program outreach? How can we make progress? Well, I began doing some rather controversial things then in the church. I began to incorporate some drama some different kinds of music. I began to change the order of service. I began to do some things that were sufficiently different, bringing in special keynote speakers for afternoon sessions, doing a midweek school of Christian living, where instead of the normal dead Bible study time, 
and dead prayer time. We did classes on all kinds of different topics, religious and non-religious. And soon, there were about 400 people attending my church. And then I began to understand that if I wanted the church to grow, I had to meet the needs of the community. And so we would go out and do some inventory of the community and find out what they wanted, how to grow, find a herd and heal it, find a need and fill it, as Robert Schuler used to say. But as the churches grew, I began to see the same thing there that I saw in the church when I was a child. I began to see a deadness in what I was doing. I fired my bishop, and I became an independent, and of course, opened a church, very quickly saw it grow and prosper. In the first year, we had 300-plus members. We were doing the music. We were doing the seeker-sensitive things, the things you need to do in our culture to grow a church. But I increasingly saw it was dead. Oh, not socially. It was very active socially. We would do a a Friday evening event. Uh, We'd have more than 100 people show up, a lot of singles. I was doing a program called Third Base, which was an employment support group, and out of that they spread around the city of Washington, D.C. We were helping probably close to a 1,000 people a year back into full-time employment, not costing them anything. I was cooking lunch for them once a week. We met in Bethesda, Maryland. We were doing special Christmas programs on Channel 7. We were doing radio. We were doing all kinds of things in the community, and the church prospered and grew but it was dead. We were very active socially, and my sermons were biblically based, but more focused on relational theology than on the gospel. I wondered, why is this deadness here? And where is God? And so I called for a, a special time of prayer. And we all assembled and began to pray and ask God what we needed to do to meet his call. The prayer time was dead and slow. There were no tears. There was no passion, no fire. And so it soon petered out. And I find in most churches, most prayer meetings quickly peter out. Or the prayer meeting is sustained by a small group of people who have a friendship one with another. Now, let me put it this way. The church in America is more successful today than it has been at any time in history. We have the best paid pastors. They have the highest degrees in educational skills. They use multimedia. They preach from the scriptures all kinds of wonderful and interesting things. Then why underneath are we still dead? Why do we not see a dramatic change in our culture because of the church?
Well, I think I have part of an understanding. It's not a popular understanding, but let me say it. I'm not going to be politically correct. Let me just say what I see happening as honestly as I can. Now, I'm not the sharpest pencil. I'm not a real smart guy at all. But I've been around long enough and I've watched long enough that I see what's happening. We have every evil influence flooding into our churches and into America. And very few pastors have the courage to stand up and say, that is sin and we are not going to participate in it. It is wrong. Now, when I was a child, I remember the pastor standing up and saying, divorce is from the devil. If you're married, stay that way. And if you have trouble with one with one another, then come to Jesus and get it straight. There's no such thing, he said, as incompatibility. He said, that's simply not possible. None of us are compatible. We're all little egos. And he'd say, repent and get clean and give up the fight and learn how to love and be kind to your partner. I mean, there was no patience in him for anyone even considering divorce. There were other issues that were very similar. Now, in the cold orthodoxy of that day, this all sounded rather harsh to my ears. But somewhere on the journey over these years, not only have we lost the orthodoxy, not only have we lost the true teaching of Scripture, but we have also been invaded by a pervasive cancer of evil. And we as a church have been fearful that we would lose members and that we would not be well respected if we stood up and said, this is sin, and the answer is no. No. One man spoke with me this morning, and one of the young adults of his household brought into his household a book on on how to be a Wiccan. And I wanted to hear how he responded. He said to this young family member, adult young family member, look, that book is wicked. It has to go. Now, either you throw it out or I'm going to throw it out. It will not be in this house. And I cheered him. He's right. It's time for us to stop being so comfortable with wickedness. It's time to recognize that we are in a battle. We are in a fight. But what is the fight for? It is a fight for righteousness. It is not a question of how many people I can bring to my church. First of all, it's not my church. The church belongs to Jesus. And if a person is going to come and enter into Jesus, then they need to come to terms with the wickedness of their heart and turn from it. One man said to me, my kids are very concerned because at the church we've brought in many other young people from a worldly background, and frankly, they're a very bad influence on my children. And of course, the question then is, is the leadership strong enough to confront the wickedness and say, look, we want you here, but you have to be converted and turn to Jesus. We're not here as a social group. We're here as servants of Jesus Christ. 
See, we've become so permissive, so understanding. And this is not just in the church. I mean, today we're welcoming into our nation radical Islamists who seek with all of their inner energy to destroy America, to destroy the culture of America. The Judeo-Christian culture, they hate it. And so we have an increase of violence, and I'm here to say it will simply increase even more as we have no standard of righteousness in America. And everyone is welcome. Well, never has everyone been welcome to come into America. We have welcomed those who wanted to come for the same reasons my grandfather wanted to come. I'm an immigrant's grandson. On both my father and my mother's side, I am an immigrant's grandson. And they came to America because they, first of all, wanted the freedom to associate spiritually with those they wanted to associate with. And they came to America because it was the land of limited government and great opportunity. So today, if you come with a sense of entitlement and you come for the handouts, you should not come to America. America is not about permissiveness. The rule in America has always been, if you don't work, you don't eat. But somehow today we are into the second generation of people who believe that the government should be supplying us with all of the benefits of welfare. Now, I'm not against welfare. I think the church needs to help those who need help, and I'm not even against the government in limited ways helping those who need that help. But to begin to have a whole nation of people who look to the government for their sustenance for medical care is a total corruption of what America was founded to be, a land of the free, a land of the brave. And the church has gone right along with the whole government deal. In fact, many churches take the government money to do their welfare programs. That seems utterly shameful to me. I don't want government money. I'm not a thief. The government steals it from people to give it to someone else. That doesn't make it righteous money. And so in the church, we have become an arm of the federal government. And the church today wants its tax deduction from the federal government. The church today wants to bring in every form of entertainment. It wants to bring in every form of uncleanness. There are actually concerts being held in church buildings where they charge money for people to come to sit in the house of God. How perverted is that? And so now the church becomes Broadway, making money off the concerts and the programs of the church, utter perversion before God. And the church is dead. It grows today in America by bringing in well-known speakers, the song and dance, It grows by bringing in special programs, by entertaining. And the pastor speaks soft words, words that tickle the ear. 
Now, I didn't like the church of my childhood because it was just dry orthodoxy. I didn't like the church I led in midlife of the seeker-sensitive church, the friendly church. Oh, yes, people were brought to Christ, but not to the Christ of holiness, not to the Christ who preached, repent, turn from your sin. Now, today... I come and I say, I'm leading a different kind of church. At the National Prayer Chapel, let me just share. At the National Prayer Chapel, we're still very small, but there is a fire beginning to burn. There are tears during prayer time. There are passionate outcries for the presence of God. People don't come there to be entertained. They come now to walk with other men and women who have engaged the battle for the kingdom of heaven. They have become and are becoming warriors of the faith. Now I know at some point many many of you will begin to say, if I'm going to face the culture of America that is being co-opted by wickedness, by lies, by cheating, by a media that scorns Jesus Christ, I'm not one who celebrates Christmas because I recognize it is a pagan holiday, but there is an element in it of the gospel. And today our culture scorns the part that deals with the gospel. So now we say happy holidays. Well, what happy holiday are we speaking about? Most are not speaking about the birth of Jesus Christ. Most are speaking about the Baal God who goes underground and must be enticed by luxurious spending and lights, must be convinced to come back and bring us prosperity. And so Christmas for America has become a splurge of spending. Already this Christmas, there is a a drop in spending because many of you simply don't have money to splurge on Christmas as you have had in the past. And so we're going to see many of the great chains having a very painful Christmas. For many retailers, they don't begin to go into the black until Black Friday, the Friday after Thanksgiving, when the shopping begins in Sirius. Up until that time, they're in the red. They make their money during the Christmas season, and if this Christmas they don't make their money, Many stores are going to be closing. Some of my favorite stores have already begun shutting the doors. I've always liked Barnes & Noble for their many books and their friendly cafe. I've always enjoyed shopping at Macy's and other large stores that are now closing their stores because the money's not there. As I look at the church, many of you are going to have to begin to do, and I pray you've already begun this, 
to do the same thing people at the National Prayer Chapel are doing. Becoming very serious about the battle that is engaged. When I was a child, the church was unconscious. In the in my midlife, the church was unconscious. Today, the church is not unconscious. Many are simply dead. But I believe that God wants to raise the church up and make it a mighty fighting force for righteousness once more. And many of the dead churches today, I praise God they're still there in spite of their deadness in spite of all of the wickedness they've brought into their buildings, regardless of all of the entertainment they've brought, I believe the day is coming when pastors will awaken and members will awaken and will cast off this garbage. And the true, honest word of God, the the word of repentance and righteousness, will be again preached. And I pray that there will be an end in America of denominationalism. I pray that Christians will come together, not in the name of the Presbyterian or the Anglican or the Baptist churches, I pray the day will come when Christians will come together under the banner of Jesus Christ, and everything will be about Jesus and victory. I see that happening in the lives of the members at the National Prayer Chapel, and I praise God for this. We have not grown large at the prayer chapel because I have refused to import and pay for a fabulous music program. I have refused to bring in the entertainment. I have refused to bring in all of the drama and the special speakers and the concerts. I've simply said, no, Jesus is enough. Now, some of you have written to me, and you've shared that you too are coming alive in Jesus, and you are winning the battle over the sin of your heart and over the lust of your flesh. I praise God for you. But I'm praying that this fire will be ignited throughout the whole church. You notice I said the church, the body of Christ that transcends denominational lines, or even independent churches, that none of us would be independents or denominationals. We would be totally dependent upon Jesus Christ. Now, I've been sharing with you this Revelation passage, Revelation, the third chapter, where Jesus gives us the three things that must happen in the church in the members' lives if they are going to come in and fellowship with him. I've tried to go very slowly because I want you to catch these three steps. They are organic steps. They are not mechanical. You don't say, okay, pastor, I hear that. I've got it. It's done. It doesn't work that way. Mechanical meaning, if my headlight goes out on my car, I drive it into the shop, I say to the manager of the shop, my headlight is burned out on the driver's side. Could you replace absolutely, Pastor? Bring your car in. I've done this. I drive in. He has one of his workmen pull that headlight out. He plugs another one in. He makes sure the adjustment is right. I pay him and I'm on my way. That's mechanical. But organic is you drop the seed in the ground and it begins to grow. And the rain falls on it. The sunshine comes. And after a while, there's a small green shoot. I've been standing by faith that as I proclaim to you day after day, the call of warfare righteousness, as I call you to repent, that there will be an awakening in your soul and you will leave either the dead orthodoxy of your church traditions, of your church calendar, 
and you will begin to seek earnestly after Jesus. Or you will leave your popular, entertaining church and recognize that there can be no distance between your life in Christ and your life with your friends, or your life in Christ and your life at work. There must be an integrity. There must be an organic growing of your heart into Jesus Christ, and he must begin to indwell you, and there must be a fire and a passion that says, I am going to serve Jesus, and Satan, get behind me. I'm not going to walk into that world of compromise and sin any longer. I was joyful after one of the messages this week when a dear brother from Frederick, Maryland, wrote me an email and said, I was struggling with this issue, and I was being nagged at by the Holy Spirit. And during that broadcast, I came through in victory, and it's done. I praise God that there are men and women, you who are listening, where that organic word of God has been igniting in your heart, and you're beginning to desire the things of God. You're beginning to desire the revival of your, of your spirit and godliness and righteousness. I praise God for you. That's why I come and proclaim this word, not to grow some great church, but to find those honest-hearted people who will allow the Holy Spirit to set on heart, on fire their hearts. I want your heart to burn with love for Jesus and devotion to Jesus, to walk righteous before him and to turn away from the devil, from the flesh, from the world, and say, I want no more to do with it. I'm a fighter. I'm a warrior. Now, at the National Prayer Chapel, we probably have, no, I can tell you for sure, we have more men than women in the National Prayer Chapel. Now, we have some wonderful women who are leaders and who speak at the National Prayer Chapel. I praise God for them. But we have more men than women. That tells me that there is a, that there is a gospel that is masculine that is being proclaimed. Don't miss me. I love having women come to church. But if the church is all women and the men are gone, we're in trouble. We need warrior men who know how to pick up the sword of the Spirit and go to fighting for the gospel of Jesus Christ, not with the weapons of the flesh, but with the weapons of the Spirit. Now, if you have imagined that being a Christian and being a part of the church is simply an addendum to your life, you have utterly missed what Jesus Christ is all about. Jesus is not like your favorite club to go work out at, or your favorite grocery store, or your favorite bookstore, or your favorite sporting goods store, and then you add Jesus into this already full life. No, Jesus will remove from your heart your love for professional sports. If you will allow Jesus into your heart, he will remove from you lust, pornography, uncleanness. If you allow Jesus to come into your heart, he will remove bitterness and anger. He will remove pride and arrogance. He will instill instead a spirit of humility in your heart. He will remove the indifference of your spirit toward the things of God. He will establish a burning fire in your heart to be with Jesus. But you must allow him to do these things. And it is a fight. It's a bloody battle. Now in Revelation, these three things, number one, you must be go- buy the gold refined in the fire. How do you buy the gold? The coin that you use to buy the gold, which is faith, is entire consecration to Jesus. 
And as you begin to say, Jesus, I consecrate my life to you, I give myself to you, very painful and difficult circumstances will arise in your life. And these are meant to test you and to try you and to establish absolute confidence in your heart that you will trust Jesus and you will not go back to the way of darkness. It may be health, it may be financial, it may be relationships. Because believe me, as soon as you say, I will serve Jesus alone and I will be a radical Christian who is out there, you will lose friends. People will cut you off. It was my experience, and it's the experience of many who have walked with me, that when they became serious about Jesus, the friends began to drop away. One listener called me yesterday and said, Pastor, my family's cut me off. They say I'm too radical. They say I'm going crazy. They don't want to talk to me. They don't answer the telephone anymore because they know if I talk to them, all I want to talk about is Jesus. Well, they don't want to talk about Jesus, so they have nothing to say to each other. I said, my sister, you've greatly encouraged my heart because now you're on a serious road following Jesus. And you're being tested financially. I prayed a blessing over her life and over her husband's life. The second step is to, is to have the white clothing purchased. And the white clothing, according to Revelation 19, are the righteous acts of the saints. Please hear me. There must be an organic work of righteousness growing in your heart, or you are off track. If there is not a battle going on in your life over the issue of righteousness, you have missed the gospel. The gospel is about the power of Jesus coming into your life and organically transforming you into the righteousness of Jesus. There's a passage of Scripture if I can find it quickly. Let me read this for you. 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, verse 14. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. Well, what is idolatry? Idolatry is putting something ahead of Jesus. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the blood or the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. See, this is why I was saying, I want a total end to denominationalism. I want a total end to the division in the body of Christ. I pray constantly for a breaking down of every division in the body of Christ. I pray instead that every congregation and every pastor will lift up Jesus Christ and his blood I pray that every pastor will come together in Jesus Christ, in obedience to him, in righteousness, that the lines that divide us will be cast away. Christians must come together. One dear brother said to me yesterday, we sat having coffee. He said, Pastor, the greatest need is that the two million Christians or the 100 serious Christians in America cast off every division 
and come together in power to fight against the darkness. By prayer, by righteous actions, to stand up and say, we have had enough of the lying, of the cheating. We want America back. We want our Constitution and our Bill of Rights back. We're tired of people scorning and destroying the beautiful land of America. We've had it. We're done. And I tell you what, if the pulpits of America would begin to burn once more with righteousness, America would be transformed and the judgments of God would be averted. I agreed with him. He is exactly right. But we've been asleep. But it was prophesied that we would be asleep. Jesus said half of the church will be asleep and half of the church will wake up half without the oil. They've never invested in being serious about Jesus. The other half, even though they've been asleep, desire Jesus with all their hearts. It's time for the midnight call that says Jesus is coming again. Wake up. Trim your lamps. Get the brilliance of God shining forth from your heart and from your life. Cast aside these false divisions and come together in Jesus Christ. That's why we're called a national prayer chapel. And I'm asking, Jesus, would you make us all Christians a house of prayer and then a house of righteousness where we participate in the one loaf, and we're one body. All true Christians are one body in Christ, and he is our head. We don't need a pope. We don't need a a king. We have one. His name is Jesus. We don't need someone to speak for Jesus and rule over us. We have the Holy Spirit. And he interprets the scripture for us. Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one loaf. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Do I mean that a sacrifice offered to an idol is anything or that an idol is anything? No, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. The church today is participating with demons. And we've got to identify the wickedness and cast it out, first out of our own lives and then out of our churches. And the pastors have to be encouraged to stand up and preach righteousness and preach repentance and call God's people to leave the sin, the bitterness, the anger, the worldliness. It says you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? I'm getting the five-minute notice. I don't know where our time has gone. I wanted to share so much with you today, but we're out of time. I'm grateful we had this hour together. I do want to let you know that I'm working on a contract for next year with WAVA. And there will be an increase in our rate. And I've been praying and asking the Lord, do we continue and pay the increased amount? Or have I done my work? Am I free to to go another direction? (laughs) And all I'm hearing is, you've just begun. The work is not done. 
My work will be done when the churches come together in revival power. And then the churches and the prayer meetings will be flooded with honest-hearted people who finally have awakened from their slumber and say, Jesus, forgive me. I've been asleep. I have to say to that, in all kindness, I've also been asleep. And Jesus has awakened me fully. And I'm saying, wake up. Jesus is coming again. America's economy is crashing. The lying Fed, the Federal Reserve, the cheating banksters, the cheating elites, it's time to cast them off. We're going to go into a time of persecution and trial and testing. We're headed for a very painful shock as there's a bank closing and our economy collapses. And those on the dole from the government find there's no more government money. We're going to have to learn how to trust in Jesus and in each other. We're going to have to be a part of the body of Christ. We're going to have to learn how to pray. We're going to have to repent. So I want to let you know that I'm in that process for a new contract in January. I ask you, please pray for me as I work on this. I ask you to pray for the broadcast. Do you believe it needs to continue? I'd love to hear from you. It is a war. We're in the war. And it's time for the body of Christ to come together as one in Jesus Christ. It's time for the body of Christ, the half that will awaken, to trim their lamps and stand up for Jesus and go to meet the bridegroom. My brother, my sister, you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. There you'll find this video and, and hundreds of podcasts and other videos. You'll find how to be a part of supporting the National Prayer Chapel in this work of the gospel. You'll find also where we meet. I'd love to have you come and, and visit if the Holy Spirit calls you. This is not a a flesh deal. This is a Holy Spirit deal. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I pray, Lord, that as I've spoken your word, it has met a resounding chord of response that says, yes, it's time to get right. It's time to repent. It's time to wake up and build up the body of Christ. Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you soon. God bless you.